It's the next level. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying? You know, violently. I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. The following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Viewer discretion is advised. In death, there are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. What you have to realize is that we're all just a mouse that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people we have sex with or won't with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of. It's all part of death's sadistic design leading to the grave. Design? Does that mean if you figure out the design, you can cheat death? Alex. You've already done that by walking off the plane. Your friend's departure shows that death has a new design for all of you. Now you have to figure out how and when it's coming back at you. No harm, no foul. Feel free to break into my morgue anytime you want. The home of postmortem. But you know, let's think about this the other day. I, I'm nowhere near even being like a remote fan of Post Malone, that like mumble rapper or whatever, dude. But weird how my name for this show, like the character I've kind of created and whatnot, like the name postmortem sounds like. Rather close to his name, you know, Post Malone. Like, both in sound and syllable. Ah, fuck it. Who cares? He only wishes he was me. <laughs> sure, bud. Anyways, he only wishes, though. He could say, Coming to you undead and wired for destruction. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, your fiendish host, Post Mortem Paul, welcomes you back to... What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. This week, first week of February 2020. Actually, it was kind of cool. Yesterday was February 2nd. I'm recording this on the 3rd, by the way. Um, and so it was like 02, 02, and then 2020. What do they call that? A palindrome? Um, yeah, so it was kind of cool. And then I read somewhere that that won't happen again for like another 101 years. Yeah, because I'll be around to see that. Anyways, first week of February 2020, 
and it is my foul pleasure to introduce episode 66 to you all. It's like Order 66. You Star Wars fans know what that's all about. Anyway, uh, review of the week. Review of the week. I teased this two weeks ago. It's a movie from 2000. Final Destination! Starring Devin Sawa and Ali Larder. But first, okay, so on a scale of ugh to ugh, October Faction. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I believe I did say on this show I was skeptically looking forward to it. It's good that I kept my expectations low. Um, so here's the thing with October Faction, okay? Nothing like the books. Or at the least, um, <laughs> it's barely recognizable. Because the books were very gothic. They were... It was Adam's Family meets Justice League Dark. It was... It, it had a nice creepy tone and... You know, I don't know. I knew kind of what I wanted. The trailer for October Faction had already told me I wasn't getting what I wanted. So I went in with lowered expectations. And it's a good thing I did. Because all the teens, all the kids in this show are cringeworthy. And I'm sorry, and I'm not saying this to be an asshole, but it was just, it was trying too hard to be everything. It was trying too hard to be diverse. It was trying too hard to to appeal to everyone. This is, And this is something that Hollywood has been doing too much of, and it's affecting a lot of the programs that people are tuning into and that we want to watch and we want to enjoy, but you're trying too hard it, it, I know, it's, it's going to sound kind of crazy when I say this, but Return of the Living Dead, back in 1985, did something that nobody actually really paid attention to. And that was that it gave you the most diverse crowd of kids. And for some reason, as much as you looked at the screen and went, none of these kids would actually hang out with each other, you still felt that there was a bond between them. And that's the problem with a lot of these shows today, is these kids don't feel like they would actually bond in real life. Um... Which is what's hurting the show, and it's making teen actors look like they are cringeworthy pieces of shit. They're not actually. Like, I'm sure these kids, all with the right proper roles, would be great actors and actresses. I do not want to take that away from them. But in this context, and what the show tried to do, ugh. Like, and a capital U-G-H. Um, in the most millennial way I could say that, and I'm not a millennial. But... And even that, I hate the term millennial and boomer and everything else. Fuck, stop with labels, people. But anyways, the teens in this show, unfortunately, because of what the show is trying to do, they suffer for it. Uh, the adult roles, on the other hand, like the, the father and the mother and like some of the other key um, adult roles in the, in the show. I don't want to spoil too much because I still think that people should watch it, but just go in with very low expectations. The thing is, is that their roles were worth it. But this show, especially this first season, really focuses on the teens. I mean, I believe at one point there's almost three episodes straight where it's almost all teenagers. And there's very, very little focus on the adults that are within the October Faction storylines. Um, there's characters missing from the books. Um, there's characters that they've changed backstories to. Um there's so much that like like I said like it, this was nothing like the books that I've been reading I, I have all five volumes 
and I have read all five volumes cover to cover, and I love these books. This is, was one of the shows I was like, back in 2015, I was on my Instagram account, my Facebook account going, please give this to us in a series or a movie or something. This is so amazing. And I mean, as much as like, okay, I, I, I watched all 10 episodes. The show did get better as each you know, episode unraveled and endured or whatever. But because of the bad taste, you know, that you, you you were getting from the teen roles and how nothing was just, it just felt like it was just nails to a chalkboard. And we're not talking Freddy Krueger nails to a chalkboard and Friday's Dead Final Nightmare. Like, we're talking, like, cringeworthy. Like, it really left a linger of disappointment through the 10 episodes and the thing was was I was trying to like it and I wanted to like it and I think like even my rating like I, I'd say it's about a six and a six and a half out of ten and probably because a part of me wants to like this because the October faction the books by Steve Niles and Damian Worm are fucking amazing I love these books and I really wish the show would have churned out the same way now there is the potential of a season two. I know that IMDb, Jesus, when the first the first day or two that it was on Netflix, the rating was just like plummeting. It went from like a ten to like a four point eight in a day. Like people were people couldn't get through the first episode. I was one of those that I was like, no, I'm gonna chug through it. I I wanted this. I have to see what they did with it, and I chugged through it and. I'll be honest with you, as you watch, the, the episodes do get better, um, but it, it was pretty rough. I think right now it's standing at like a 6.2 out of 10 now. The rating has gone up because more people have finally finished the first season and whatnot, but that's my thoughts on the October Faction, guys. I, I wanted to at least put aside like 5 to 10 minutes about the show because, I mean, honestly, I've, I've been a huge advocate of the books for a long time. Even going back to my previous podcast, the Bats, Bows, and Books podcast, I was talking about the October faction on that show. Like, this was something that I was very passionate about. I really wanted to have this show be all it could be, and unfortunately, no. Hopefully, maybe with a second season, if they get a second season, you know, possibly fleshing out some of the supporting cast and giving us more of what was in the books and less of the the forced diversity because it's not working you know what I mean like and I'm not saying like all of a sudden like you know completely make it an all one color cast or you know that it, it appeals to only one group of people I'm not saying that what I'm saying is is stop trying to force so much especially like when you know like one of your main characters who like in the book like you know Jeff is gay in the actual storylines from the books this they had that he was gay mulatto with a french background and could speak chinese and he was also you know a hipster who didn't want to fit in but wanted to fit in and it was like wow okay like how many more political themes and and social themes do you want to put to one character like <laughs> it's like what the fuck are we doing here this character of jeff like that was once like he's amazing in the books and you've like come uh, anyways i'm gonna stop while i'm ahead <laughs> because 
I also want to talk about one other thing before we get into the review, and that's the Lurker's recommendation, which I know recently I've been leaving till the end of the episode. But because I talked about the October faction in the way that it kind of really disappointed me, I wanted to end the opening segment off on a happier note. So Lurker's recommendation, I am throwing this out there right now. Most, most of you have probably already watched it. If you haven't, here's my recommendation. God damn it, make sure you do it. Watch The Color Out of Space. The new Richard Stanley flick. The It's the uh, HP Lovecraft adaptation put to live screen starring Nicolas Cage. Um, Color Out of Space. Color is spelled wrong. If you're going based on how HP Lovecraft wrote his story, it's spelled C-O-L-O-U-R. But, you know, I, I understand that color can be spelled two different ways, but I'm one of those, like, I don't know, I'm kind of picky about that. It, I feel that if you're, you know, adapting an HP Lovecraft story, keep the title spelt the same, but whatever. I mean, that, honestly, that's my biggest gripe right there. So you get... You, I, I, I bring that gripe up because I want you to understand this movie was fucking amazing. This movie was so good. Oh my god, it was amazingly shot. Just beautiful. I have, I'm have. i a huge fan of the 1977 Suspiria movie. Even though the episode I did on it would make you wonder otherwise because it was really not one of my better episodes. But that being said, I love that movie and I've always loved the flashy colors from that movie that just like boomed off the TV screen and off the movie screen and like any which way you've watched it. Same for the color out of space. The colors. Oh my god, it is so beautiful. And Nick Cage, oh, he's on point. Now, interestingly enough, I did talk to a few people that said they felt he channeled Donald Trump too much. Um, I didn't get that. Now, that po- it could also possibly be that I have a tendency to ignore Donald Trump. I don't care for the man. I think he's an idiot. I think he's a moron. So anything that has to do with Donald Trump, I usually ignore. I don't notice his mannerisms. I don't notice how he talks or how he, how he portrays himself because I really don't care. Like, he's one of those people that, like, if I saw him walking down the street and he's trying to say hi to me, I'd be like, shut up, get away from me. I... It, I I just don't find anything appealing about the man, so I'm not going to pay attention. When I watched this, I got more of a Jack Nicholson in The Shining vibe from Nicolas Cage. You know, a a man that started off (laughs) normal-ish, and we watch his decline to the brink of madness. Um, That's what I got from it. Now, like I said, there's a lot of people, and I've read several comments and talked to several people that have said they felt Nicolas Cage a little too much on the Trump impersonations. It's possible. Again, I really can't comment. I don't pay attention to the idiot. But what I will say about this movie is think of it like this way. Take the beyond and take the thing. And I'm talking John Carpenter's The Thing. And meld the two together in a Lovecraftian explosion and uh, of color and like mystique and madness. That's what you get. Like that's what this movie is. It is so highly recommended. I'm not giving it a rating right now because eventually this will be an episode on the podcast. I will talk about this movie in full. Um, I was mind blown. I, it's been a while since I've watched a movie. And when the movie was done, like, I had to actually collect my thoughts. 
And that's what this movie did. So absolutely, I wanted to end this opening segment on a high note and offer my Lurkers recommendation early as the color out of space. You must see this movie. It is a, it is must-see horror. Now, this is a movie that come next year when the Oscars are being announced, I wouldn't be surprised to see it get a nomination or two. Probably won't, but it would be nice to see it get one or two. Um, it's worthy of it, in my opinion. But now it's time to cheat death. And we're going to do it with this week's head-splitting X-Files-esque episode. That wasn't the X-Files, but it was from the year 2000. Final Destination. Yeah, we're going to do the trailer timeout. We're going to timeout with some Final D. And when we come back, we'll have a shared podcast experience, everybody. Shared. We're going to all take in Final Destination and talk about death which is what I pretty much talk about every week on this fucking show. But, yes. Trailer timeout, and then we'll be back with the movie review of the week. See you in a moment, kids. I got this feeling. It's a weird feeling. The cabin starts to shake, right? And, and the, the left side blows up, and then the whole plane just explodes. It's not a joke! It's not a joke! We get thrown off the plane all because Brownie has a bad dream? I saw it. The plane! It's gonna blow up! It's gonna blow up! All 287 passengers are feared dead. Because of you, I'm still alive. There are no accidents. No coincidences. And no escapes. Did it happen again? Did you see Todd die? What if it was our time? What if we were not meant to get on that plane? What if there is a design that it's not finished? By walking off the plane, you're cheating death. You have to figure out when it's coming back at you. What do you got now? He knows which one of us is next. You have a responsibility to tell me. I knew I should have hit on Tammy in the pool that time. I'm gonna let it happen, okay? Nobody has control over life and death. Unless they are taking lives. And causing death. Can you promise me that no one else is going to die? Get I'll see you soon. All right, kids. Before we get to the movie review of the week, Final Destination. Today is a special day. Today, February 3rd. Obviously, you're hearing this on the 4th, but whatever. February 3rd is a big day in the uh, Next Level Network of podcasts as uh, one of the granddaddies. You know, the the flagship podcasts of the network. Uh, DC Primetime uh, officially today released their final episode of the series. Um, The podcast will uh, no longer be continuing on both Ben and Rob. Moving on to other projects now, and um, 
So just quickly wanted to uh, like give a shout out to both Ben and Rob. Both guys were inspirations for me, uh, especially earlier in my podcasting career when, you know, for those of you who were familiar with the Bats, Bows, and Books podcast, I wasn't always the most confident and some of my episodes were really lacking. I kind of didn't have my footing down, didn't know how to be a character and whatnot. Um, and you know, like Ben and Rob, they were really cool. Like they, you know, they extended their handout and friendship. And on top of that, they, they helped me build a confidence within myself, gave me little pointers when I needed it. And at the same time, they were also open to things that, you know, I mentioned and whatnot. Um, we became good friends on top of being fellow podcasters. And so it was, it, it's something that I just wanted to put out there that, um, I did share their final episode on the Facebook page for what lurks behind podcast zero. And I think everybody should go give it a listen. I actually, um, sent them like a, a little small clip it to add to their episode, you know, sending them off and wishing them the best because they're two really awesome dudes. I know they're going to be continuing to do other things together. So it's not the end of Ben and Rob podcasting together, which is really awesome because they're good dudes and they work very well off each other and they always uh they always bring good content and interesting conversation and whatnot so that's that i just you know i just needed to say that because it's it's a big thing within this this podcast network and i just felt it needed to be said so to ben and rob i wish you the best guys and now we're going to move on on this show with movie review of the week which is final destination Theatrically released in North America, March 17th, 2000. And the movie, Final Destination, was directed by James Wong. James Wong, um, very well known for working on the X-Files TV series, along with his co-writer, Glenn Morgan. Glenn Morgan wrote uh, this script with James Wong and Jeffrey Riddick. And Jeffrey Riddick was actually um, the man behind the idea. And the whole idea behind it was uh, when this started off, the, the, the first original script for Final Destination was actually meant to be an episode of The X-Files. Um, it was in, it, it, Jeffrey Riddick was writing it. He was trying to get, you know, gain attention and get a TV agent and whatnot. And um, so someone at, like, like a colleague of theirs at New Line Cinema kind of talked to Riddick and said, you know, try making this a feature-length film. Like, you know, don't just do it as an episode for the X-Files. Let's see if we can make something out of this. And then James Wong and Glenn Morgan heard about it, and they were like, hmm, sounds kind of interesting. It's got a cool premise, you know? So the two of them, along with Jeffrey Riddick, came up with this idea for Final Destination. And it, um, if I remember correctly, this was actually James Wong's first directing debut like in terms of film so it it was a big moment for all of them um glenn morgan also would help produce this film along with craig perry warren zide and art schaefer um but yeah so when you think about this like final destination like we watched this movie this was supposed to be an x-files episode when it's it kind of boggles the mind a little because it's like damn like and to be fair different cast different way this is done i could see this being an x-files episode like it actually kind of fits within the tv series so i I do get where it started in its roots and it became a feature-length film in uh, in 1999 i was gonna say 1999 but that's when they started working on it uh in the year 2000 
So, cinematography for the film was done by Robert McLaughlin, who, um, he worked uh, TV as well. He worked on the TV series Millennium. Then he would also return for Final Destination 3. He did the Black Christmas remake from 2006, which now that we've had the 2019 version, nobody really hates that 20 that, that 2006 version anymore. It's not really hated as much as it used to be. And let's see, McLaughlin also worked on the movie Cursed, and he worked on the two TV series of Westworld and Game of Thrones. So that's pretty cool. The music, music, this is awesome. The music was done by Shirley Walker. And for those of you familiar with Shirley Walker, you know that she was a big part of Batman the Animated Series. She did a lot of the music for that. She did a lot of music for Superman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond as well. That whole DC animation era, the Bruce Timm era, some of the most finest animation to come out of any American studio whatsoever. Um, and she was a big part of that. She also did music for the 1990s uh, Flash TV series with uh, John Wesley Shipp, which is kind of coincidental with me mentioning about DC Primetime's final episode this week because they had a special guest, John Wesley Shipp. So go figure how it all comes around full circle. Um, <laughs> and she also worked on the Black Christmas, the 2006 remake, along with the movie Willard, the Crispin Glover remake. So Shirley Walker, I mean, she's uh, she's been a part of a lot of iconic uh, movies and whatnot. Time to move on to our starring cast. All right, yes. Yeah, so it kind of, you know, and when I think about like the fact that this was supposed to be an X Files episode, I almost wonder if our lead male and female was actually supposed to be David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. Um, kind of how it's weird that way, but you know. It, Obviously, it changed and became what it was. So anyways, our lead male, Devin Sawa as Alex Browning. And Devin Sawa. So, and this is kind of cool if you remember this. And a lot of people do. I mean, this isn't obscure facts, people. Like, most people remember this shit. But he was the little kid in Casper. Um, Casper with Christina Ricci and Bill Pullman. Uh, he was the like the live version of Casper at the very end when Casper has his wish to be a, a real boy kind of thing, kind of like a Pinocchio kind of thing going on there or whatever. Anyways, Devin Sawa played Casper. He was also in the movie Idle Hands. He was Stan in Eminem's uh, video of the same name. Remember that video? Like Stan where he was both the obsessed fan and whatnot. He was Stan. He was also in the movie The Exorcism of Molly Hartley. Our lead female, Allie Larder, as Clear Rivers. And it was weird because all these years I always thought her name was Claire Rivers. And then, you know, doing my research and I'm like, they've been saying Clear all this time? I never realized it. Because it's very close. <laughs> Anyways, she was also in Varsity Blues. She was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Final Destination 2, Resident Evil, Extinction, Afterlife, and the final chapter... Ed, she was a big part of the series Heroes. Moving on to, I believe it's pronounced Kerr Smith or Kerr Smith, one or the other, as Carter Horton. Um, he was a part of the movie The Forsaken. He was part of Dawson's Creek, My Bloody Valentine, the 2009 remake, and most recently he was on the CW series show Riverdale. And then we move on to Kristen Cloak. She plays Miss Valerie Luton. She's the teacher. And she was um, 
on the Millennium TV series with Lance Henriksen. She was also a part of the Black Christmas 2006 remake. That came up a lot when I was doing my research. I was like, fuck, that, that movie just keeps coming back. Um, obviously, she was a part of the X-Files as well. That's where I think they noticed her from. Um, and she played, if I remember reading properly, she, um, she played two different characters in the X-Files. One, she was in an episode in like 1993, I believe, and then most recently in like 2018 with that whole X Files revival there, and she played a completely different character. So, kind of cool, whatever. Moving on to Daniel Roebuck. He plays Agent Wine. 239 acting credits. Buddy has been busy. And he's worked with Rob Zombie a lot. Uh, He was in both Halloween remakes, or like Halloween films that Rob Zombie did. He was in The Lords of Salem, he was in Three from Hell, he was in 31, Devil's Rejects. And then aside from that, he was also in Bubba Hotep. I felt that was worth mentioning. And most recently, he was uh, part of the Star Wars uh, The Jedi Fallen Order video game. He was a voice in that as well. So that's pretty cool. Uh, But yeah, a lot of work with Rob Zombie. Moving on to, I hope I pronounced his last name right, Roger Gwenver. And, or Roger Gwenver Smith, I should say, actually. He played Agent Shrek. Um, he did a lot of earlier work. I know it's like 90s and early 2000s was when he was his busiest. He has continued to act further on, but a lot of his big, na- big title stuff came from like, you know, like Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, uh, Tales from the Hood. And he was part of Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which that's a series that sadly was taken off the air a little too soon. I was enjoying the fuck out of that back in the day. Moving on to some of the teenagers in this now. Um, So we have Chad Danella as Todd Wagner. And he was also in Disturbing Behavior, The X-Files, Smallville, Saw the final chapter, Taken 3, and he was part of the TV series Blind Spot as well. Um, moving on to Stifler. Um, no, he's not playing Stifler in this. He's playing Billy Hitchcock, but Sean William Scott, which um, he's... I find he always plays the same character over and over. He's kind of like an Adam Sandler like that, but whatever. It is what it is. Um, he, obviously, Stifler, the American Pie movies part of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, The Rundown, Cop Out, Goon, and Bloodline. Um, now, the man, the man, Tony fucking Todd as William Bloodworth. Uh, and Tony Todd, who, who is this guy? Why am I so excited about Tony Todd? I don't understand. He's just a man. He's just nobody important. He's just been the fucking candy man. He's, uh... You know, he, he was in Night of the Living Dead, the 1999, or 1990 remake. I almost said 1999. Uh, the 1990 remake, the Tom Savini remake. Uh, he was in The Crow. Uh, he was in Hatchet, uh, Wishmaster, Platoon, Colors. Like, I mean, the man's been in some pretty iconic fucking roles. Not to mention he was uh, the voice of Zoom on The Flash, uh, the, the series with Grant Gustin there. You know, he's just a little iconic. I don't know, just a little bit. Um, but we'll move on to uh, the character of Terry Cheney was played by Amanda Detmer. Uh, she did a lot of like, um, I guess like rom-coms. You know, she she really wasn't big in the horror genre, but she did like movies like Save, Saving Silverman, 
uh, Big Fat Liar, You, Me, and Dupree. Um, she was kind of like in that area, you know what I mean? Like, and, which there's nothing wrong with that. It just when I was looking up for like different like horror titles or sci-fi titles she'd been a part of, not much. This might have been about the only one. Uh, moving on to Brendan Fair, he plays George Wagner in this. Uh, most people would know Brendan from Roswell. Uh, I think that was like probably his biggest role and title to date. Uh, he was also part of Disturbing Behavior, The Forsaken, uh, CSI Miami, uh, Silent Night, which was kind of like the Silent Night Deadly Night remake, and 13 Eerie with Catherine Isabel. And we have Lisa Marie Carrick as Krista Marsh. And she was in movies like Snakes on a Plane, Miracle, and Final Destination, obviously. But she also had roles on X-Files, Smallville, Dead Like Me, and True Calling. She was she, a lot of TV work. Um, same with our next actress, uh, Christine Chatelaine as Blake. So you got Krista and Blake. They're the blonde and the brunette that on the plane they want to switch spots with Alex and whatnot. And anyways... Um, so Christine Chatelaine, she, uh, again, was a lot of TV work. She was a regular on the TV series The Collector, um, as well as appearing on Supernatural, Smallville, Dark Angel, and The Man in the High Castle. And finally, Forbes Angus as Larry Murnau. And again, another TV actor. Uh, and the titles pretty much make sense. I mean, he was on Millennium. He was on The X-Files. He was on Supernatural. And then I thought it was cool. He was part of iZombie and R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour. Uh, as you probably noticed when I was running through the cast names and, like, you know, they, their character names in the film, uh, many of the film characters are named after famous horror directors or actors or producers. Um, like Billy Hitchcock, obviously, like Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, just I just said Larry Murnau, you know, which is a reference to um, Frederick uh, Wilhelm Murnau, and you have um, Terry Cheney, Lon Cheney, uh, George Wagner is directly named after the Universal horror film producer George Wagner. Um, there was also uh, you have Todd Wagner is kind of an interesting one because he's named after Todd Browning, but then you have. Alex Browning and his family so there's the Browning family but then Todd Wagner also shares the same last name as George Wagner so it, it's kind of interesting when you when you look at all the the, the different ways that they, um, they, they 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 pulled from horror directors and producers and whatnot and actors like um, another one Agent Shrek you know we had the actor Max Shrek who was like one of the what he was the original Nosferatu you know what I mean like Count Orlock so I mean like it's kind of cool how they did that and so I just wanted to point that out the runtime for the movie is 98 minutes it's rated R for violence terror and language they say fuck oh oh it's so offensive uh the budget was 23 million for the movie. The gross, 53.3 mil. Not bad, guys. Not bad. And obviously, released by New Line Cinema, the house that Freddy built. Because uh, they always say that. Um, anyways, our synopsis. I'm kind of. I've noticed that sometimes my synopsis, I, I, I don't know. They tend to drag out a bit. So I'm just going to give you the basic idea of this of this whole 
movie. Um, it's basically Alex, you know, has these kids are going to on a trip to France, and it's a, apparently it's a field trip for seniors out of high school. I guess I don't know. That's pretty cool. They never did that in my day, but whatever. So, anyways, these kids are going to France, and Alex is like freaking out on the plane because, like, somehow or another, he fell asleep. Okay. I'm sorry, if I was boarding a plane, the last thing I would do is like sit down in my seat and like, okay, I'm crashing. But apparently, <laughs> apparently he falls asleep and in his sleep, he has this premonition that, oh shit, the plane's going to fucking blow up and he freaks out. And so, you know, security kicks him off the plane and whatnot and kicks a couple of his friends off the plane. Um, I never understood some of what goes on. I'll talk a bit more about that in my notes, but Anyway, so a, a group of them apparently come off this plane and they're arguing in the lobby about, yeah, now we're missing out on our trip and blah, 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 all because Alex has some weird fucking nightmare. And while they're arguing, boom, the plane blows up and these six or seven individuals have avoided death. They've cheated out death. Um... And so after this, apparently what happens is his death decides, oh, no, no, you're not getting away that easy, so I'm going to start killing you. And that's what this whole thing is. And then on top of that, Alex has to also dodge the FBI, who are mysteriously investigating him, even though it, it never makes sense with the whole airplane thing. Like, you even figure out later on what happened with the plane and why it blew up. So... He obviously has nothing to do with that. He just freaked out. Like, I don't know why people don't just chalk this up to kid had a weird fucking feeling, got off the plane and woo, look at that. Fate was on his side because he lived while all his friends died. I don't know. I don't get it. But anyways, let's talk about some notes from the opposite side of death. In other words, we're still alive. We're still great. And here's the thing with this movie. This movie has a great fucking premise. I actually really like the idea of this movie. I mean, you know, the whole idea of cheating death. And is it cheating death? You know, because death in this movie, what I love about it, what I really love about this movie, what they've done so well is they have not given death a corporeal form. We do not see a grim reaper. Okay, we don't see like a monster or a shadow or anything like that. No, no, no. I, I mean, you get glimpses of it. But they didn't have that like death was like some looming you know, figure. Okay. It was, it was water on the floor. It was the wind. It was thunder. It was lightning. It was, it was weird, different ways of presenting. It was there without actually giving it a figure with a face. The thing is, is did the final destination of the movie pay off is the real question. And the thing is, is that it's a movie that, I'm not going to lie, the beginning of this fucking movie, the foreshadowing that it tries to do, and I understand it wants to be clever and whatnot, but it's fucking overkill. Everything is, like, leading to, holy shit, today's your day to die. Like, everything from, like, the, the board in the airport that shows, like, the different flights, how it's fluttering and doing this weird thing. His alarm clock flutters, and, I mean... It's kind of cool because it's flight 180 
and it's showing that like you know when it says one o'clock on the clock it's flipping from an eight to a zero and stuff like i mean there's some cool stuff going on there's some cool imagery don't get me wrong but like even like this i think it's um what alex's father says something to him about enjoy your flight you have your whole life ahead of you like like yeah we get it like okay he's going to cheat out death um and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like hammering these like lines about life and death in the beginning of the movie. It, it becomes almost annoying as fuck. Like it really does. Like the dialogue, it seems as if it's like forcing all these like references of death down our throats. And it, it's, it's also the fact that like, okay, like, so like I understand that Alex or Devin Sawa's character, or whatever is supposed to, you know, have this premonition and whatnot, but like he sees all this weird shit going on around him and nobody else notices it or nobody else feels like weird about it except for like, you know, like, um, ah, oh, shit. What's her name now? Uh, fucking Allie Larder's character there. Um, clear. Cause I always think it's Claire and it's clear um, like how she has like a weird vibe as well, but like she never felt it before until he freaked out kind of thing. And she knew something was off, but didn't know why. And it's like, okay. But like, there, it, it just seems like the beginning of the movie is just too heavy handed. Like, it's just like here, boom, <laughs> like avoid death, you know, like that's the whole idea and whatnot. Okay. Whatever. Um, teacher. So teacher's hot. I'm not going to lie. Kristen cloak. Uh, she's plays Valerie Luton. She's kind of cute. I'm not going to lie. We'll get past that now. Um, <laughs> because before the movie gets good, it seems like it starts off really bad. And another thing that really bothers me about this movie is Carter's character. I do not understand Okay, so Alex is freaking out on the plane, right? He's like, oh my god, the plane's going to fucking crash and he's going nuts and I don't understand why Carter, of all the fucking kids on the plane, is the only one who seems like he's like angry at Alex. Like he's like pissed off before Alex even has a chance to really like freak out. Like, and so what? If Alex wants to get kicked off the plane, then why not just let him get kicked off the plane? Like, why are you involving yourself? I don't understand why Carter involves himself in the first place. Tell him to shut up. If he doesn't shut up, hey, security, get this motherfucker off the plane. The thing is, is that then it seems like even after that, like this bit of like this anger, this hatred, this this looming like negative vibes towards Alex. Like my, my question is, and I almost wish there was more backstory on Alex prior to this movie. Like, you know, give us something that shows, was he a hated person before all this goes down? Like, cause uh, seriously, after it happens, it's like everyone and their mother and father seem like they have like no issue with hating Alex or making him feel like he's like absolutely fucking crazy and weird and bizarre and it's like okay like you do realize that the kid's suffering just as much as all the rest of you as a matter of fact he's probably feeling even a little bit worse because he saw it coming and he couldn't do enough to save everyone like you know what i mean like like it, it's it's a very up until about the halfway point of this movie there's a lot i have i i just feel the movie feels off now, as the movie goes on, it gets better. It does get better. Um, the deaths, well, uh, I think in terms of the deaths, like the, the the death toll, and I think of the different ways that each character dies, 
I think it's meant to be hilarious in a dark humor kind of way. But at the same time, it's sort of frustrating. Like Todd's death, for example. Like, in my opinion, it's one of the most stupid deaths I've seen in a movie. Because, okay, like, I get it. Like, he, he slips on the water, he trips, this wire wraps around his neck, and he's supposedly strangling, like, he's being strangled in the bathtub. What I don't understand is why he just keeps kicking his feet. Like, it's a bathtub. Just put your hands on the sides and stand up. Like, I don't understand why we're not, like, he's complicating the issue. I I understand he's panicking. And, you know, obviously when things happen, we sometimes, we panic more than we should. But this is actually a really simple way to save himself, was all he had to do was stand up. And he'd be able to pull the wire off of his neck. I mean, at the same time, it's kind of stupid the way, like, it just, like, spins perfectly around his neck and strangles him. Like... Okay, like I get that we're trying to make that, you know, the supernatural idea of death has come for him and stuff like that. But it's like, this is kind of fucking stupid because just stand the fuck up, kid. You know what I mean? Um, And, and Mrs. Luton's death, like Valerie's death is is very cringeworthy as well for me. Like the whole idea of like she get she spills like what is it vodka or something she, whatever she's drinking she, it spills on the computer now first off so you're trying to tell me the monitor was on because like if the monitor's off it it wouldn't have started smoking like that secondly i don't even think that's even possible um the most that would have happened would the monitor would have shorted out you'd probably have a burn mark by the 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 socket maybe or something like that it wouldn't explode the screen wouldn't snap sending shards of fucking monitor screen into her neck like that. So, I mean, like, that's completely unrealistic as well. I get it. It's supposed to be just a fun kind of movie and whatnot. And obviously, like I said, you almost wonder if the deaths, like, the death scenes are intentionally dark, darkly hilarious like that because it's not the way it would happen. Um, And then, of course, like, you know, she's got this shard sticking in her neck. She's bleeding all over the place. And she has to reach for a towel that just happens to be draped over a bunch of knives that when she pulls it down, the knife, like the one knife, like the big butcher knife kind of thing, just just happens to go through the middle of her chest and like perfectly to the point where it stabs her and she's going to bleed to death. And I'm like, really? I don't think this is how this works. Like, um. And we won't even get into, like, the ending with the electrical wire (laughs) that, like, you know, that Alex is fighting to, he's fighting with this wire to save Claire's life. And it's, oh, but again, I almost wonder if it was intentional, if if the death scenes were supposed to be so extravagant, so bizarre to give kind of a dark humor feel to the movie, um, because everything else about the movie, like I find as it goes on, it gets better. But it really, there is, because of the ridiculousness behind some of the things that go on, it really does feel like it almost gets bogged down. Um, and these FBI agents have to be like the worst in their field. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously, it's pretty clear there's something going on. Again, once it's discovered how the plane blew up, you're still investigating Alex like he had something to do with it. Like, chalk it up to the kid had fucking you know a nervous glitch like he fucking i don't know like it just seems like it the movie tries too hard to make make it seem like everybody thinks alex did it 
Alex is just a kid who's like just as fucked up as everybody else. Like, I don't know. One thing I did like about this movie, and I found it very interesting, if you pay close attention, so the more death that happens in the movie and the more people, like, characters are knocked off, the more alive Allie Larder's character becomes. Like, Clear, Clear starts off looking blandish, almost hidden, kind of, um, I don't want to say homely, because she's not ugly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't do, like, a, a Carrie White thing with her or anything here. But she just seems like she's, like, kind of, like, blending the crowd kind of bland. But as the movie goes on and more people are dying, I find that her character becomes more attractive. And she seems like she has more prettier features and there's she's more uh, sexier almost. Without making it like a, a sexual thing. Like, if you know what I'm saying, like, but at the same time, as the movie's progressing on, she's becoming closer to Alex as well. There's a, a relationship and a romance that's forming between the two of them. So you almost wonder if that's part of why she's also, she seems more presentable in an attractiveness kind of way. Um, but it's just, it's, it's interesting how as the movie, like these people are dying one by one. You would think that it would be something that would stress a person down, make them look worn down and, and older and more, you know, uh, depressed and stressed out. And whereas her character seems like she's becoming more vibrant as the movie is going on. It's something that's very interesting. Um, I got to quickly sum this shit up because, fuck, I just keep going on. But anyways, Shirley Walker's music, amazing. I, the music does not need to be really commented on except for the fact that it's fucking amazing. This woman knows how to make music and she knows how to make music that is perfect for each moment in the film. The look of the film, obviously, very 90s, early 2000, like teen horror film-ish. It has that look to it. I noticed as I was reading like fan reviews, most fans actually really enjoy this movie. Um, I think a lot of people approach it as don't try to read too much into it kind of like what i've been doing this episode but i it, honestly i think a lot of people just went into it thinking you know what it's something that's different from the norm uh it really does break away from so many of the familiar tropes that 90s teen horror flicks were doing at the time but at the same time it does kind of follow the whole one teen after another after another after another keeps dying kind of thing but i mean that's the that's something you almost can't avoid in a horror film, especially of like the genre and whatnot consensus of critical opinion. And I'm talking like more like, you know, your film critics, you know, the guys that get paid to talk shit, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it seemed like that despite a panel of X-File alums at the helm and a promising premise, uh, a lot of them felt that flighty performances and poor execution, you know, kept this movie down. I, I don't know if it was poor execution. I think, I think some of the performances, I, I don't know, it's just... Especially with Carter's character. It, for some reason, that one just really rubs me the wrong way. I don't understand what all the hatred is, why he's so angry at Alex all the time. It's like, okay, did you guys like hate each other like massively before this movie started? Like, That's kind of what I get from it. Um, just a few critic uh, comments. Uh, Nick Hyman of Metacritic, you know, he includes Final Destination in his 15 movies that the critics got wrong. Because critics really panned this thing. They did not really care for it. But he felt that it was an elaborate suspense action set 
that the first two films of this series were like some of the most impressive stuff of that time era. Um, Rita Kempley of the Washington Post, however, <laughs> wrote, "Your own final destination just might be the box might, might be to the box office to demand your money back." <laughs> it's like shots fired. Harsh. Um, apparently, she did not like the movie. Roger Ebert. Oh, our buddy Ebert. Guess what? He actually really liked this movie. Uh, he stated that Final Destination will no doubt be a hit and inspire the obligatory sequels. Um, like the original Scream, this movie is too good to be the end of the road. That's pretty high praise from Mr. Ebert. Again, he's the one, Cisco uh, and Ebert, he's the one that will like look for the positives in a film. Um, he was right, too. He called it. He said there would be sequels. And there's been four sequels and I think two comic book series and fanfics and a whole bunch of shit like it has endured <laughs> um let's see what else kevin thomas of the los angeles times said it was a terrific theatrical feature debut for television veterans glenn morgan and james wong um and i believe he also like went on to say like you know it was kind of like you know, good to see that, like, these two guys would finally get their push in, you know, main cinema, like, the, the mainstream cinema field and whatnot. Um, I, I I don't know. Here, here's the thing. So IMDb has it standing at a 6.7 out of 10 right now, 7 being the most common rating. Um, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, though, whoosh. Uh, again, critics panned this shit. They, they did not like this at all. They... 34% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and Metacritic is only 2% higher than that uh, at 36. The podcast zero rating. How do I perceive this film? What do I give this film? So here's the thing. As I said at the beginning of my review, great premise. Great idea here. Like just the idea of cheating death. If you cheat death, will death find another way to get you? And do you know if you've cheated death? Was it just the way it was supposed to be? That is something I've always wondered about Clear's character. Was Death really out to get her, or was she just used as the bait to get to Alex? I've always wondered that, because she was, she was the one who voluntarily came off the plane. She was not forced off. Everyone else was forced off. She was the only one who voluntarily got up and left the plane. Not to mention she's followed up in the sequel. But anyways... Um, the thing is, is that I've always wondered that if with her character, was she more the bait to get to Alex? I've always wondered that. Um, now, my thing, though, with this, and it's sort of as the same with the October faction, what I was saying at the beginning, some of the teens or well, in this case, supposed teens, because I think some of them were in their 20s when they did this. The acting choices seem off. Um, it's not as bad as October faction. I'll say that. But some of what you'll see in Find a Destination will have you wondering, like, how these kids called each other friends. And that I and I specifically point to the Alex and Carter relationship. Even Carter's girlfriend at one point says, if you are going to continue to constantly, like, beat up on Alex every time you fucking see him just because you're mad at him, I'm done with this. And as part of the audience, I'm the same way. Like, what is it about these two boys like did they have a rivalry before all this started like what what caused carter to hate alex so fucking much and by the end of the movie they're best friends like it doesn't it doesn't make sense so some of the teen choices whatever 
The effects are decent. Uh, there's some nice gore. Uh, even though the deaths themselves are a little ridiculous, the effects are great. Um, the music is great. Devin Sawa, for the most part, is solid. I, I really can't complain about him too much. Uh, as f- Same goes for Ali Larder. I and not you know like a lot of people will point out oh well she you know she's she got hotter as time went on this it's not about the hotness she, I, I find that she did a good job of portraying that character that was like i'm like the outsider i don't need to brag i'm an outsider i just don't fit in with any of you so i just do my own thing and i like that it was it was kind of the whole idea that she didn't have to brag it she didn't have to point it out to anyone um and tony todd He's the fucking man. Uh, Bloodworth. Bloodworth, I think, is his last, like, his name or whatever. For his brief spot in the movie, he's fucking awesome. I love him. Um, The idea that death is something more than a Grim Reaper, it's awesome touch. I I like that. It was something fresh. It was, I like the fact that it was like the water. It's the wind. It's lightning. It's like, yes, we don't have a Grim Reaper. This is kind of nice. I don't hate this movie. I wouldn't say I love it either. Um, but I can respect what it was trying to do. And in that regard, this movie, I don't consider a bad movie. My final verdict for the film is a six out of 10. I say it's a six out of 10. It's not bad. It's not amazing. There is some things that definitely hold it down, but I mean, it's good for an afternoon matinee. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're sitting around on a Saturday afternoon, you got nothing to do. There's nothing on the TV. You don't give a shit about football or basketball. So you're like, what the fuck do I watch? Final Destination is a great Saturday afternoon movie. You know, if if you have young ones that can handle horror films, this is a good one, too, because, you know, there's there's not a lot of like there's death, but the gore is not crazy. I mean, Sean William Scott's death or like, uh, well, Billy Billy's death is well, it's a little interesting, but I mean, it's not over the top gore where it's like, you know, you're not watching someone get like a splinter of wood through their eye, like Lucio Fulci zombie or something like that. It's not that it's, it's, it's doable. I mean, this could have easily gone with a peachy 13 rating in my opinion, but it is what it is. Six out of 10. And on that note, thank you for listening. And yeah, it, Final Destination, six out of ten, man. Like it, it's a, it's not a bad movie. It's not great, but it's not bad. I do own it actually in two formats. I have it on VHS and DVD, uh, primarily because I bought the VHS for a buck uh, at a thrift store, and it was like, eh, whatever, add it to the collection. So um, the DVD, I think I paid five bucks. It was it was in a bargain bin, which is kind of interesting because I, I remember doing my research and, you know, one of the, one of the critics said something about this movie was destined for a bargain bin or something like that. I forget who it was that said it. Some, some ass hat anyways. And, um, it's funny because that's how I bought the movie <laughs> was in a bargain bin and it was around Halloween, you know, and is what it is. I mean, it's not a bad movie though. Like, um, I do remember seeing part two. I don't think I've seen three, four or five yet. And maybe one day I'll get to it. You guys know I'm not, I'm not much of a sequel person. It really takes a lot for me to watch a sequel. Um, I'm kind of like the one and done kind of guy. I've always been a fan of originals and I mean, certain situations nightmare on elm street friday the 13th halloween you know hellraiser there are certain series i will watch sequels uh, final destination on the other hand i guess it's because um, the thing is is how many times can you go to the well with the same premise 
And I, I say this and I'm talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, but you know, or Friday the 13th. I mean, they basically, Jason comes back, he kills, he dies. Jason comes back, he kills, he dies. I mean, it's the same thing over and over. I get it. But I mean, nothing, nothing's going to top that sleeping bag death. That was like pretty fucking creative guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, final destination. Do I recommend it? Give it a chance if you haven't seen it on that note. Yeah, uh, let's do the where to find the podcast. I'll announce next uh, episode and close out with some nine inch nails. That's what we're going with this week, guys. Some nine inch nails. Um, yeah, and let's just let's just end this shit. So you got a friend, you you've just introduced them to the show, and they're like, "Fuck, I want to subscribe to that shit." Where do I find it? So they can find it at Apple Podcasts if they've got an iPhone. Um, Google. Google is pretty much universal, you know? Android, internet, whatever. Uh, Spotify. Spotify is great. I love Spotify. I live off Spotify. Like, <laughs> every day it's like I've got a different playlist going or a different album I've searched up. And I'm like, oh, tonight, you know, when I'm at work, like, my, my phone, I don't use it as a phone. It's a glorified MP3 player, and it's hooked on Spotify. Um, CastBox, FM Player. And you can find the podcast at the Next Level Network, thenextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. You can also find it at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com. And hey, your friend says to you, holy shit, you know that postmortem Paul, he's a fucking awesome dude. He's got a heart of gold. God, I don't. I really don't. But <laughs> hey, let them go with it, okay? Um, but anyways, you know, they, they, they're like, hey, I want to email him. I want to request a movie. You know what I mean? And how do I do that? Well, you can contact me through email at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero at gmail.com. Or you can go on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. You can hit me up on Instagram at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. Or Twitter if you want. Twitter is very toxic. I warn people, if you don't have a Twitter account, don't get one. Honestly, um, it's it, Twitter can be a lot of fun. I shouldn't just completely kick it all the time, but... You've really got to watch it because, like, fuck. You can think, like, you'd be like, oh, I'm following here. Like, this is the Smurfs account. It's happy. It's blue. And it's Papa Smurf and Smurfette. And you can think it's all happy. And the next thing you know, you've got Donald Trump all the way down your fucking newsfeed. It's just weird how it happens like that. So you got to watch that shit. But go on Twitter at WLB Podcast underscore zero. And next episode so next episode which by the way i just want to let people know this year might be the year that i kind of do an episode every two weeks um i do like to put a lot of work into my episodes you guys know that i do a lot of research and whatnot sometimes it's hard because i am back on the midnight shift it does depend what my sleep is like so sometimes like like last week i could have actually done this episode but i hadn't slept very well and it was like hmm I don't want to give you guys a half-assed episode. So going forward, the show may be every two weeks. I'm hoping I can maintain a weekly structure. But if if you notice a week goes by and there wasn't an episode, you can pretty much be you know positive it'll be the next week then. But next episode is a very recent movie review um, from 2019. Yes, 2019. This movie is going to be fun as hell to talk about. Because um, how long has it been since your last confession? If you're religious, that is. <laughs> I'm not, so I never did a confession. But hey, 
How Long Has It Been Since Your Last Confession? Directed by Brendan Steer. And starring Alyssa Kempinski and Greg Cohen. Half pastor? Half fucking dinosaur, man. Oh yeah. We're going to the we're going to the fucking crazy crazy bin for this one. Velocipaster. Um if you have Tubi TV, uh, or it's if you have the app for Tubi, um, you go on TubiTV.com on if on a browser. Uh and there's it, it, Tubi is available through Xbox, PlayStation, Smart TVs, Roku, uh, was it the the Google um, Chromecast, uh, Amazon Fire Sticks, it, any which way you can. It, it's a free app, tons of great fucking movies, and a lot of fucking cheese. And Velocipaster just happens to be one of those cheesy things that I wanted to talk about. So that will be next episode. Episode sixty-seven will be Velocipaster. We're going to close out with Nine Inch Nails, like I said. Uh, Into the Void is the track. This is a remix version that um, I've had for a while. I, way back in the day, there was remix.nin.com. A ton of fucking great remixes on there. Uh, now I think it's under ninremixes.com. Uh, the, the website's still technically around, but you don't see too many me- too many people making remixes these days. But... Um, it was an awesome site at the time. I used to download like a ton of fucking fan remixes because they're good. There's some really, really good, talented fans out there that were creating some great shit. And anyways, this is uh, this is a remix of Into the Void. Obviously, the track that was used in Final Destination, so I thought that would be fitting. Um, and that's that. The show's over, kids. You can go do all those great things that you do every week. Now, go watch Velocipaster on Tubi. Seriously, do it because one, you're going to laugh your ass off. Two, it'll be worth it because then when I do the episode, either next week or the week after, you'll be able to listen in and say, hey, you know what? I totally agree or fuck that, Paul. God, he's a fucking idiot. He just does not know movies at all. Either way, it is what it is. Show's over, kids. Have a good one. Nine Inch Nails is now. <laughs>